psychiatrist named William Glasser was doing a bunch of study for a work that he titled The Mind, Simply The Mind. In all of his study for that work, he arrived at this really incredible truth. Take a look at this. Man isn't controlled by external factors, but by internal desires. Furthermore, our desires are predetermined by our thinking. The mind is the command center determining conduct, and therefore the critical issue for man is how he thinks. Now, he isn't the first person to arrive at that type of truth. Ralph Waldo Emerson is credited with this quote, though it is debated whether he is actually the original person to write it down. We don't really know, but credit has been given to him, and so I'll do the same. Take a look at what Emerson has to say. So a thought, reap an action. So an action, reap a habit. So a habit, reap a character. So a character, reap a destiny. Stephen Covey would take Glasser's ideas and Emerson's ideas and he would blend them together with thoughts like this. Our behavior is a function of our decisions, not our conditions. Now, Covey and Emerson and Glasser might really believe that they were the original people to come up with these ideas. The truth is, they're not. Those are biblical ideas. King Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, given a supernatural wisdom from God, would say things along these exact same lines in the book titled Proverbs in the middle of your Bible. Let's just take a look at two of them, starting with this one. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. That's from Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7 in the New American Standard version of the Bible. Solomon is talking about the nature of man when he says, for as he thinks within himself, so he is. He's talking about the power of our thought life, how we think. He said again in the book of Proverbs, these words, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, and that's from the New International Version of the Bible. Now, here's the interesting thing from Hebrew culture about this. When Solomon was writing these words, it was pretty well thought of that the heart was the place where we thought. The heart was the place where all ideas originated. The heart was the driving force behind our actions. Well, today, through a lot of different study, we know that the heart carries our emotions and our mind is where thoughts originate. So today, if we were writing this verse, it might sound like this. Above all else, guard your mind, for everything you do flows from it. Our thought life is really an interesting part of who we are determining our actions, determining the course of our life. If you take all of these ideas from Glasser through Solomon, you can see the strength of that. Psychiatry teaches it. But more importantly, the Bible teaches it. And maybe, just maybe, it was with that type of understanding that the Apostle Paul would write what he does in Philippians chapter 4. If you have a Bible with you, open up to that book. We've been going through it this summer, and we'll be wrapping it up in just a few weeks. But what we're going to look at today is very, very personal and very, very pointed. So pay close attention as we go through this. Now, I always encourage you to open your Bible so that you see it for yourself. And I hope you do bring a Bible with you to church on Sundays. I hope you pick it up throughout the course of the week. And in a 
a rare turn of events, I'm actually going to put it up on the screen, but I still want you to have it right in your own hands. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 8. Take a look. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now let's get into this passage. There is a lot of great teaching in it. It begins in verse 8 when we find the anchor point of the verse. And I'll show you exactly what I mean by that. But first, I have to make a quick confession. When I was in Bible college, I had to take a class called Written Composition. Now, we have a number of teachers and school administrators that attend church with us, so I want to apologize for the first part of, about, uh, for the first part of what I'm about to say. So, please, give me a little bit of grace. I thought it was the dumbest class ever. And here I am, a, a freshman in college, thinking you are taking me back through middle school and high school written composition. Why in the world are we having to do this? And one of the things that I really thought was dumb was the fact that we had to diagram sentences. Anybody ever had to diagram a sentence? It's the most ridiculous activity any teacher ever asked you to do outside of asking you to read Shakespeare. You do that kind of stuff and you think, why? These are hours of my life I will never, ever get back. So I did not pay really close attention in that class, not nearly as close of attention as I should have. Here's the reason that as a freshman in Bible college, they want you to diagram sentences and be really familiar with the practice of it, because diagramming sentences helps you find the deeper meaning in certain passages. So by diagramming a sentence, knowing how to break it down, you can discover deeper meaning. I wish somebody had said that in the introduction to that class. I might have paid attention, but they never did. So now, teachers, I've already asked for your grace, so now maybe this will turn the, the ship a little bit. Students, listen, pay attention to your teachers, because years from now, you may find value in things that you thought were completely pointless. Pay attention to your teachers. Hopefully, that'll buy me a little bit of grace. So, here's how bad it was. I had to call my wife, who happens to be one of those people that enjoys diagramming sentences. I think hell will be full of a lot of sentence diagramming. Tina thinks heaven will be full of a lot of diagramming sentences. She likes this kind of stuff. How God brought us together with that type of an opposite thing going on, I don't know. But I called her this week while I was studying for the message just to make sure I wasn't about to make a huge mistake and say something I shouldn't have. So if you disagree with what I'm about to say, take it up with Tina. She's the one who said this is right. <laughs> So Tina says, when you're diagramming verse 8, you can pull out the noun, and I encourage you to do this in your Bible, circle it in your Bible. The noun in this is the word brothers. It says, finally, brothers, circle that. That's part of diagramming a sentence. Lift it off the page of your Bible, because by doing that, you're going to see the very personal parts of this verse. Well, when we made our way past the noun, 
I was hunting for the verb, believing that I was on the right trail, and she was able to verify this for me. So again, in diagramming a sentence, the base part of it is to find the noun and then the verb, and there's a whole lot of other stuff that seems pointless. But anyway, the noun and the verb are really good. You make your way on through the verse, here's what you find. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. That word think is the verb. Circle it in your Bible. So you have circled brothers, and now you have circled think. In the margin of my Bible, I wrote noun next to brothers, and next to think, I wrote verb. There's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. You're about to find the deep meaning by lifting those two words off the page so that you can see them. You're about to find some great teaching just by looking at it this way. The word think is the verb. The word brothers is the noun. You are captured in the noun. So am I. Brothers, because it is plural, applies not only to the church in Philippi, it applies to every believer that will read those words. You are part of the noun. The verb that gives the marching orders to the noun is given to you. Think. Think. Brothers, think. Brothers, think. There's power in this passage. There's life-changing power in this passage. Transformational power in this passage. Now, when we pull those two things off the page and we really look at them critically, we discover something that has been called right thinking, or it has also been called a spiritual discipline, but most accurately, it has been called the spiritual discipline of right thinking. And it truly is a discipline. Now we, again, we've talked about this already in the study of the book of Philippians. We think of spiritual disciplines like going to church and reading our Bible and prayer and our quiet times, meditation and so on. And oftentimes this one never enters the list. But the spiritual discipline of right thinking has a really important place in our walk with Christ. Because of things like this, it's necessary for us to go back into the study of the mind to truly understand why this is so important. So let's do this. Take a look. What we do, our behavior, and what is done to us, our circumstances, do not produce what we think. Rather, what we think produces our behavior in any given set of circumstances. Now, I want you to let that soak in. So I'll read it for you one more time. What we do, our behavior, and what is done to us, our circumstances, do not produce what we think. That is almost a statement in the face of modern society, particularly postmodern society. Rather, what we think produces our behavior in any given set of circumstances. That came right out of a very recent edition of Psychology Today. I'm pretty intrigued by that because it does seem to go right in the face of postmodern thinking. Our circumstances, our background does not determine what we think. What we think determines our life, determines our actions, determines our choices. 
And that's why the spiritual discipline of right thinking is so very important. Now, when we see it as a spiritual discipline, and we get into Scripture really trying to see other places where it's taught, we begin to realize that God sees this as so important that there are places in the Bible where it will appear to be almost a military-like discipline. Places like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Why don't you turn there with me? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Wow. See the military type of discipline this requires? We take captive every thought. We take captive in Christ every thought. And by doing that, the Apostle Paul would teach us we will find the ability to destroy strongholds, literally to destroy strongholds. Now, I want to make sure we're all on the same page about what a stronghold is. So here's a, a good working definition of strongholds. A stronghold of the mind is a lie that Satan has established in our thinking that we count as true, but is actually a false belief. When we embrace these lies, they affect our attitudes, emotions, and behaviors. Let me give you just a few examples of what that type of a stronghold looks like. It, it's really and rooted in people that would believe they're not good enough to come to Christ or they're not good enough for other people. That's a lie that comes directly from the, the enemy. Or sometimes relationally, the lie will sound like this, my husband doesn't love me, my wife doesn't love me. Oh, there's times that that's truth, but the stronghold of it will bring that about if we're not careful. There are other strongholds that sound just like that. They're wrong thinking that takes hold in our minds and eventually in our hearts that determine wrong actions. That's strongholds. One of the best ways to illustrate that is this. Imagine that you're in a boat that is taking on water and it's taking on water fast. So you grab a bucket and you start throwing water out just as quickly as you can. Bucket load after bucket load after bucket load. You're trying to get the water out. But it seems like with every bucket load that you throw out of the boat, two more come in. We might be tempted to believe that the stronghold is the water, when in reality, the stronghold is the hole in the bottom of the boat. That's what's letting all of the water in. The water is simply a consequence of the whole. It's a result of the stronghold. And most of us have been at some point in our life knowing that sin, when it becomes a stronghold, is much like that water coming in through the hole. As much as we try to stop the sin behavior, we can't. As much as we try to change the course of that behavior, it just seems like it overpowers us. Throw out one bucket, two more come in. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The Apostle Paul would say, for the things I do, I do not want to do. How many of you know what we're talking about? 
I try to change the course of it, and it just keeps coming. Well, here's why. Until you fix the hole, until you plug the stronghold, the water is going to keep coming. So in this particular case, until we change how we think, our behavior is going to continue on the same path. Until we change how we think, we're going to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. We have to plug the hole. We have to destroy the stronghold. And according to 2 Corinthians, that means we have to take captive every thought. And you might think, holy preacher, that sounds great, but it's impossible. There is no way to do it. Well, I might offer to you that if you believe that, that there is no way for that to happen, there's a hole in your boat. That's a stronghold. That's a stronghold. If you believe that you cannot change how you think, that's a stronghold. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul gives us seven different ways to do it that lead to an eighth victory. Let's go back to Philippians and you'll see it. We're still in verse 8. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Paul says, finally, brothers, here's number one. Whatever is true, whatever is true. Now, he's going to go on to tell us to think about these things. So whatever is true is the first teaching. What is true is the Word of God. Josh mentioned that in his prayer just a few minutes ago. We're standing on the Word of God. So if you want to know real truth, get into the Bible. Those strongholds that we talked about just a few minutes ago, starting with that first one, I'm not good enough for other people, leads us to a place where we believe that we're not good enough for Jesus. Read the truth of the Bible and you'll find out that that's wrong. Truth is found here. Get into the Word of God so that you can know it. That's number one. Let's move on. Whatever is honorable, I love this one. I really do. Honorable can easily be seen as whatever is above society, whatever is honorable, whatever is due a, a special place. Think about those things. Get above the crassness of the world and think about honorable things. Let your mind rest there. Let your mind find peace in things worthy of honor. Number three, whatever is just. In some translations of the Bible, that would be called holy or righteous. Whatever things are of God, whatever things are just. So when we come up against things that seem completely unfair to us, it's an understanding that God is just and God is the one responsible to bring about the right end that we can remove ourselves from those issues and not be controlled by them. Whatever is holy, God is holy. Think about these things. Paul goes on to say, and we'll just put these three together, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. Again, that's elevating ourselves above the things of the world. Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. Think about those things. You can change the pattern of your life and of your mind. You can plug the hole by thinking about those types of things. Now, let's take a look at number seven. If there is, oh, I'm sorry, if there is any excellence, this one is really my favorite because it truly raises the bar. 
if there is any excellence. Think about those things. When we find ourselves in a place where we can focus just on those, man, we, we're getting to a place where our mind is getting changed. We're getting to a place where, where we're no longer held captive by the things that other people are. The hole's getting plugged. The stronghold is coming down. We're changing the way we think by focusing on other things. And this last one, Terry, let's go ahead and put this one up. Whatever is praiseworthy, if there is anything worthy of praise. Follow the progression in Philippians chapter 4. It's really important for you to see this. We're going to start out by changing our thinking from going from the lie that is a stronghold to the truth that is the Word of God. That's the, the very first place that we're going to start. So the stronghold is now in question. It is beginning to fall just by that first one. By the time we get to the last one, excellence, it leads us into this place of praise. It leads us into this place where we're thinking about the things that are worthy of praise. So that's what's always on our mind. Rather than the lies of the stronghold, we're in a place of worship of a holy God all the time. And trust will follow. And peace will follow. And faith will follow. Because we've allowed our mind to be transformed rather than allowing our circumstances to determine our end. We are allowing our mind to be transformed so that God determines our end. Our end is with Him. That's the power of changing your thinking so that you're not stuck in the same place forever. Change your thinking. Change your thinking. And again, you may say, man, preacher, that sounds like something a pastor would say. Maybe even something a pastor could do, but the rest of us, we just couldn't pull it off. Well, Paul speaks to that. Verse 9, take a look. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Paul's saying, pay attention to people that have pulled this off. Do what they do. Pay attention to people that understand this truth and just follow their pattern. If you think it's impossible, look at those that made it possible and understood that in Christ all things are possible and follow their pattern. Follow their pattern. It's an easy thing to do. I've done it. I've done it. I'm going to give you just four things that I have learned from other people that have figured this out. And I'll tell you who I learned them from. And there's actually going to be some scripture up there that we're not going to look at today, but I encourage you to take a look at on your own. So write these down, take a picture, whatever works for you, so that you can look these things up. Here's what I have learned from those that have figured this out. Number one, don't believe everything you think. Don't believe everything you think. Our friend Danny Burns is the one that I will credit with really teaching me this because he's the one who taught me the term stinking thinking. Sometimes stinking thinking takes root in our lives and if we believe it, if we believe the wrong thinking, it's almost a, a prophecy that we will fulfill on our own. We will bring it about to that end. So we have to battle against wrong thinking. Don't believe everything you think. 
And here's how God is so good at demonstrating the truth of this. Like I had said earlier, Tina and I went over to Kalispell yesterday to see Deanie in the hospital. And while we were visiting with him, I asked him what it was like. He was taken over late Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning, and they had thought they would be able to do the surgery to help alleviate a lot of the pain on Wednesday. And then it looked like Wednesday evening, and then the surgeon just said, we're not going to get to it. So he was going to have to go through Wednesday evening in this excruciating pain until Thursday morning when they were able to operate. So I asked him yesterday, what was it like getting through all of that? And he said, it was terrible. The pain was horrible. And his mind was going all kinds of different places. And those places were trying to set up housekeeping on him. They were trying to take root. And Deanie said, finally, I just had to pray that God would change my thinking. Don't believe everything you think. Last night when we got home, I was thinking, Wow, okay, God just illustrated it one more time from the guy who taught me this. So don't believe everything you think. Number two, guard your mind from garbage. Had a professor who became a friend when I was in college named Doug Ingmeyer who taught us this. He would come over to our dorm. We lived in this old condemned house, literally an old condemned house. Doug would come in and share with us on Monday evenings a lot almost every other week. And he would talk about this, guard your mind from garbage. Doug would speak from personal experience. He would talk about what it was like to have traveled the wrong path and then had to battle his way back to get on the right path. So he would say, stay off the wrong path and stay off of it by guarding your mind so that you never start down it. Guard your mind from garbage. Sometimes that means avert your eyes. Sometimes that means shut off your electronics. Sometimes that means changing some of your associations. Sometimes that means choosing better friends. Guard your mind from garbage so that you don't end up on the wrong path, having to get off of it onto the right path. I'll be forever grateful that Doug taught us that, and he gave us very practical ways to do it. So I'm thrilled that 30 plus years ago, I had somebody speaking that type of life to me, and I want to do the same for you. Guard your mind from garbage, because unloading it is very difficult. Number three, never stop learning. You've heard me talk a lot through the years about a man named Ben Merrill, who is a mentor in my life, 95 years old this month, 95 years old, and it would appear that he's going to get to see the Lord pretty soon. I went to work with Ben when he was 75 years old. And Ben, it was so cool, would always be in his office in the morning with his Bible open. And I would assume he was studying for his message, but every once in a while I'd get to talk to him about it. And he'd say, oh no, I'm just reading. Let me show you what I just learned. 75 years old. We attended a lot of conferences with Ben where he would have easily been the best speaker and teacher there but he was sitting in the seminars learning and he would come out and he would talk about what he had just learned. He read all the time. He'd walk into my office carrying a new book and say, look at what I just learned. Never stop learning. Never stop learning. It's an easy thing for us at different points in our life to think, okay, I've got it figured out. Well, you don't. Don't ever stop learning. So you stay in that process because it helps you do number four. 
dream big dreams. Always dream big dreams. And for this one, I want to credit Bob Russell. Bob is a wonderful preacher, now retired. He led the church in Louisville, Kentucky, Southeast Christian Church, for 40 years. Bob's been out here and shared with our church and spent time with our leaders. And Man, we were blessed by our time with Bob. Well, Bob, when he was preaching in Louisville, Kentucky, they built the largest church in our brotherhood of churches and very possibly at the time, the largest physical building that any church had ever occupied. The price tag on it was $88 million, $88 million. Now, 20,000 people attended church with them, so don't just be blown away by that price tag. You have to put it in the right perspective, $88 million. When Bob was interviewed by a antagonistic reporter out of Louisville, Kentucky, the reporter said to Bob, how in the world can you as a preacher and the leaders of your church justify an $88 million price tag? This was Bob's response, and he almost, with no hesitation, gave it. He said, well, that's all we had. <laughs> that's all we had. That's dreaming big dreams. That's dreaming big dreams. The number of lives that have been touched through that ministry is remarkable, but Bob would be the first one to tell you that, yes, Southeast Christian Church has had a massive impact, not only locally and nationally, but globally. But he would tell you, and I would totally agree with him, that that impact begins with the individual, with people within the church that understand what it means to dream big dreams and never stop learning and have guarded their minds from garbage and have chosen not to believe everything that they thought, but rather to believe the truth of God and the love of God, and to believe that all things are possible through that type of relationship, and they've come together to do amazing things. That's the way God has built His kingdom, 2,000 years. That's how God has built His kingdom, by people that have chosen to tear down strongholds, He's done it through people that have chosen to transform their minds, to take captive every thought and give those to the Lord that the Lord could make them into something special. Be one of those people so that your thoughts can be God's thoughts and determine your path, your destiny, the outcome of your life. Be that person. Not controlled by circumstances or environment or your past, because none of us are. We are controlled by our thoughts, what we think. So make sure you're thinking God thoughts. I'll leave you with just one place in Scripture that could help motivate you as well as teach you. It's found in the Psalms, the 19th Psalm to be exact, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward.
Get into the Word of God. Get into the Word of God. Find truth. That truth will transform you. Let it transform your mind and tear down the strongholds and plug the boat so that the water stops flooding in and you can dedicate yourselves to the things of God rather than having to bail water. Because my friends, in Philippians chapter 4, you are the noun and the verb is your marching order. Think about the things of God. Why don't you stand and pray with us. Father in heaven, just when we think the challenges of knowing you are behind us, we find a new one. This one can be quite challenging. But I know that there is a grace extended to us that can help us tear down the strongholds of the mind, to beat back the lies of the enemy. Father, I know that there is a grace available to us that can help us think differently. And so I pray for that grace for every one of us. Father, I pray that that grace will be always evident to us. Pray that that grace will bring with it a reminder when our mind is starting to go the wrong way. I pray that grace will sound off like an alarm to tell us that we need to be careful we're in dangerous territory. And then, Lord, I pray that that grace will also ring a bell that tells us we're on the right path. And I know that it's available to us through your Son, because of Him. And Father, it is because of Jesus that we are here today. So thank you so much for Him. Thank you for the gift of the cross. And thank you, Father, for the power of the resurrection that shows us that we can live a new life right now. I pray you'll help us all do that. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.